As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I remember taking it to my English class. I was just carrying it around all day. You know, I maybe started with the opening pages and I had it on my desk and my English teacher, while like talking to the whole class, saw it on my desk and said, oh, wow, isn't it amazing? And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I hadn't even really got into it yet, but I was like, <laughs> okay, this is a book. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 271. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, a few weeks ago, we celebrated a big anniversary, five years of podcasting and producing What Should I Read Next? And just last week, I marked another major milestone, 10 years of blogging at modernmrsdarcy.com. This podcast that you're listening to actually started as a blog series where I would ask a reader to share three books they loved, one book they didn't, and then post their answers along with some book recommendations suited to their taste. I still share posts about books and reading every week on the blog, but I also get personal now and then, sharing an idea from my journal, a favorite new recipe, or an essay post. Last week, I spent some time reflecting on 10 years of blogging. You can read that post and stick around for some book recs at modernmrsdarcy.com. To those of you who started as blog readers and made your way over to the podcast, thank you for spreading the word about my work and following along for all these years. Today, I'm chatting with Nadia Oduayo, a devoted reader and passionate entrepreneur who set out to give mood readers a holistic experience when choosing their next read. So she created The Storygraph, a brand new website full of tracking tools and detailed rating systems, including those beloved quarter star ratings for those who need 4.75 stars to capture exactly how they felt about a book, with the purpose of helping readers go beyond a book's jacket copy and filter through what they're really looking for. Readers, it was such a delight to chat with a fellow professional book recommender about the art and business of getting the right book into a reader's hands. Reading is a top priority for Nadia these days, and she's looking for books that keep her invested in a character's story, as well as some nonfiction to balance out her book stacks. I've got an exciting mix of books to recommend that I think will suit Nadia's taste and mood, so let's get to it. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's always a delight to talk books with a fellow book lover, but today is especially interesting for me because I get to talk books with a fellow professional book recommender, and I'm really excited about that. Oh, me too. I love the behind the scenes of anything. I like when books explain it to me. I love to hear people talk about their reading lives. I love to hear people talk about their businesses. And today we have a convergence of all these things. Yes, we do. Now, you are the founder of The Story Graph. How do you quickly describe that to people when you're telling them what you do? I say that The Story Graph is the place to help you choose what to read next based on your mood and any topics and themes that you're interested in. The show is called What Should I Read Next? And the reason it exists is because it can be surprisingly difficult for readers, including myself, to find our next read. And that's how I ended up building a product around it. So at the beginning of January 2019, the last venture that I was working on suddenly fell apart. And I was left with, oh, do I get a new job? Should I try and work on my own thing? And I had a side project and it was to do with tracking and sharing reading lists. And I said, well, let me just tinker away on this for a little bit. I spent a few days building a rough prototype of a product. I showed it to a few people and the reception was, oh, this is cool, but they didn't seem excited enough. But what I knew from those three days of tinkering away on this side project was that I really felt alive in a way I hadn't done before. 
because I was working on a product to do with books. You know, I'd worked on so many different types of products before and so many different industries, but this was the first time I'd focused on a books product. And so I said, okay, if I want to actually experience this every day, I need to find something that is compelling enough. And so I just started talking to readers, book bloggers, friends, and I was trying to find, is there a pain point? Is there a niche? Is there a gap in the market? And I guess similar to how your podcast came to be, I saw that choosing what to read next is still not a solved problem. People have tried and they they try and, and to different varying degrees of success. And I And I thought that there was room for a software product to try and do that better than what was currently out there, and hence me focusing on recommendations. In all your conversations with readers and your own experience in the reading life, what is it about choosing the books that we want to read that is so vexing so often for readers? I think, first of all, it probably comes from the multitude of choice. (laughs) There's just (laughs) so much out there. That rings true. (laughs) Like, even if new books stop being published from today and you had to continue choosing what to read next over the coming years, you would still struggle because there's just so much. And then on top of that, you do have many different sources of recommendations, whether that's articles, uh, you know, literary reviews, other websites, Goodreads, Amazon, bloggers, you know, you've got so many different friends, family. So you've got so many people telling you, this book is great, read it. Each reader has to kind of filter through all of that and figure out, okay, who is making the best recommendations for me. <laughs> what mm-hmm. do I like? Um, and then you've got the aspect of mood, which I realise a lot of people, you know, I'll say they are mood readers. So one day a book could grab them and the next day it won't. And it depends on, you know, what's going on in their lives at the time, what they're interested in. And so all of these things mean that it can often be quite difficult to choose. And then also we're not taking into account what is actually going in your life that might mean that you're not in the right headspace to read certain things. You know, can I take a book that deals with this type of content or do I want something that's easy and light? Um, And maybe easy and light is not what I normally read. So now I'm back to the beginning and not sure what to choose. So I think there's so many different factors in play. Something that I I see happening with readers I talk to who are disappointed that they picked up a book that they expected to love and it just wasn't right for them. They feel like they have been actively deceived by um, either recommendations from people who just don't understand that we all read differently. We are looking for different things at different times for different reasons, or because they succumb to the marketing copy. You know, like publicists in that jacket copy, it exists to get you to pick up the book. And I love publicists and bless the people who write that jacket copy um, Mm -hmm. because it can be so helpful, but also so misleading sometimes. I just see that trip readers up over and over again. Yes. And that's what I found in my research, too, because people are trying to they're trying to sell their books. Right. And that's fair. They want to sell their book. And so the marketing copy that you speak about, it often says things to grab the reader's attention, which might not be an accurate reflection of what's actually in the book. On our website, you can find books based on pace. So we've got fast pace, medium pace and slow pace. And we've had a few people in publishing or authors reach out to us, you know, complaining that my books are marked slow pace or these books are marked a slow pace and that's not attractive. And the thing is, we have people who love a slow paced book. Mm -hmm. They're looking for slow paced books. If you um, look at the stats for all the books they've read, the vast majority of the books are slow paced. It's not a negative thing. It's like there are people that actually your book would be perfect for. But if it's marketed as something that it's not, then the readers who will love it, you have a lower chance of finding it. And so what we're trying to do with the story graph and all of our mood tags and our pace tags is separate away from the marketing copy and really try and connect people with content that will really resonate with them, really grab them, really suit them. And it doesn't matter, you know, who the author is or when it was published. It's going to fit your mood. It's going to fit the style of book that you love. Now, I'm really interested in hearing about the evolution of going from a personal recommendation to software. Yes. The first version of the Storygraph was just a personal recommendation website. That's all it was. So there was no tracking your wider library. There was essentially a form. You filled out the form. You said the mood you were looking for. I think you maybe said some books you loved, some themes or topics you were looking for. 
Then I essentially got an email every single time someone submitted a personal recommendation. And this wasn't a public website. That would have been a bit too much. <laughs> I, I, personally invited oh, wow. people, <laughs> I personally invited people to try. And so uh, I, I would get a series of emails and then I would just put aside time and I would just go research and read a bunch of information about different books. I would, I would read about the content of the book, what people who read it thought. I would look for book reviews. I would look for articles, lots of different information. And I would come up with a kind of assessment of whether that person would like the book. And I also looked at their reading history, you know, what they'd liked in the past and what they hadn't liked. That was very important as well. Ooh, tell me more about that. Why is it so important to hear what people didn't like? Because within a book, there are many different characteristics. And sometimes a book can have a bunch of things that you love, but also some things that are turn off and, and a turn off can spoil a whole book for someone, right? Someone can be really invested in a book and then the ending, you know, maybe the main character dies or or maybe it's not all wrapped up and there are so many unanswered questions. And that could really disappoint a certain type of reader and they could feel like they've invested all that time and they rather wish they hadn't. The reason why it's important to also check that a book does not contain things you don't like is to make sure that by the time you're done reading the book, it's the whole package for you and you're not left disappointed. Yeah, it's just a way of making sure you've got that holistic experience, holistic positive experience. And sometimes I found when researching and looking at other recommendation systems, there was a lot of focus on what you liked or other people also liked this. But the main thing is, well, is what that person also liked relevant to me if they don't share the same dislikes? Because they may give something five stars, but I'm going to read it and not like it so much because it had X, Y, Z, which this other reader doesn't care about. What kind of feedback did you hear from these readers who you were giving the personal recommendations to? The main thing was... Wow, I have never heard of this book before, but it sounds right up my alley. Oh, that's the best thing to hear. Exactly. And you will know this as a personal recommender. Is that a word, a recommender? <laughs> well. On this show, it should be. Yes, there we go. So as a personal recommender yourself, you will know that that's the best thing to hear. But of course, to get to that, it takes time. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to mm. find something that someone hasn't heard of before. Particularly the more avid a reader is, the harder it is to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I realized pretty quickly that this was not going to scale. If I wanted to build something that was sustainable, profitable in the long run, an independent business that was going to last, I had to find a way that it was going to scale. So there were two things. One is, how can I scale this personal recommendation service, but in a way that keeps the personalized effect, you know, because right. a lot of problems with recommendation systems is that the bigger, the vast scales they are, or the more people they serve, often the quality can go down. People feel like, is this really for me? Or is, did it just like say, if this, then that, if this, then that, and it spits out a book that, yeah, sure, I've heard before. And so many, so and so many other people got the same recommendation. So we wanted to avoid that. But then the other thing I found was that a lot of the feedback was after it was, wow, I've never heard this before. of this before. Amazing. It was like, okay, I'll probably read that in five books time though, because I'm in a book right now. I've got three other books on my shelf or my bedside table that I'm going to read. And that's where we I moved away from we're a personal recommendation service to we help you choose what to read next. Choosing what to read next might be something completely new, or it might be from that pile of unread owned books you've got something you've already marked as to read because we all as readers have a lot of books on our radar and it's like which one do I pick up now so how long has the storygraph been your full-time job since January 2019 that was when I first started tinkering on the side project and then after I spent a week or so on that it was a few months of just talking to people mm -hmm. and then I started building the personal recommendation service early 2019 by summer 2019 I was building the beta and it was initially private. I onboarded people manually. And then it was towards the end of 2019 when my co-founder, Rob Freelo, got involved. And he was the one that helped me automate the recommendations. So originally, he just built me tools to help me do what I was doing faster. So just mm -hmm. search a load of books faster. And then instead, we completely automated it early 2020. Nadia, where did the name come from, The Story Graph? Actually, it's an old name. So in 2012, when I was at university, I was lamenting with a friend one evening about how, because of all our coursework and extracurricular activities, we weren't reading a lot. We had the idea to start a short story e-publication. 
of course, what ended up happening was we spent whatever free time we had running this creative writing e-publication and not actually reading more beyond reading <laughs> submissions. <laughs> Originally, it was going to be an online newspaper. So we wanted a newspapery sounding name. And we also, I had this idea that because it was online, it was going to be an immersive experience. There was going to be uh, artwork attached to each story, which there was. We got custom, um, we commissioned art for each story that was published. And I had an idea that maybe there'd be like music or something else later on. I actually had that as a business since 2012. We ran it for a few years and then shut down the publication after we graduated. And the, I just left the company dormant there. And it was quite funny because at the time, my mom said, you know, keep the company because this name is so good. And I, I just don't want you to lose the company so that you lose the name and the and the domain, the storygraph.com. She was like, it's so good. I feel like you could do something with it. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, when I first started tinkering away on this reading app that I was working on at the beginning of January 2019, that had another name called Read Lists. Like, and I was just sitting on this, you know, the Storygraph Limited and when I was doing conference gigs and things like that, I would get them to, you know, pay any any um, fees or expenses to that business. But it wasn't attached to this reading project I was working on. And it was only when I started saying, hey, I, I might build a book recommendation and tracking site that it suddenly clicked. And I was like, oh, I could start using the story graph again. Meant to be. I think so. <laughs> so books have been your job since 2019. Uh, something that many people who work in the book space have learned is that having books be your profession doesn't actually necessarily correlate with reading more. What has going full-time with the Storygraph done for your reading life? Interestingly, it's massively increased my reading. And, oh, that's uh, wonderful. <laughs> so since 2016, I think it was, I've written an annual blog post saying what I read in you know, 2016, 2017. I think 2017 was my first post. And I said in my, in my 29 post, it starts by saying, oh, you know, I was worried because I started this thing called the Storygraph. Uh, but in fact, being immersed in the books world, particularly on Instagram, and just finding a lot more books that I was excited about. And also, I think I felt like if I'm going to run a company that's a books product, I really need to get sucked into this identity of being an avid reader. Like, I don't want to be running a books company and not read, you know. Um, so <laughs> those two things meant that I also set aside time to read every day. I was able to connect with potential users of the product that I was going to build in a proper way, in a meaningful mm. way, talking about books. <laughs> Up until I started the story graph, the few years before that, I'd read about 20 to 30 books a year. And then 2019, I read 57. And last year, I read 67, something like that. And that just comes down to, like I said, prioritizing it and having that hour slot in my calendar every day. Um, and also just I'm a reader. So reading um, is very important for my mental health as well. You know, running the story graph, you know, for the first year, most of it, I was alone. I was a solo founder doing everything, the tech, the, the customer research, the product development, the community organizing. And even now that I have Rob um, as a business partner and Abby, Ab reads on Instagram, who, who works for us part time, you know, I'm still leading the initiative and it has a stressful times. There's times of doubt and anxiety and just like a lot of work to do. I love reading. So having that hour to look forward to each day and escape into a different story, it's very therapeutic. It's healing. So all those combined have meant that I've, my reading has just increased and I'm trying to find ways to like, keep reading more in, a, in within a year, despite my workload increasing. What has working on this project to help other readers find books they love taught you about your own reading life? Through working on the project, my network of readers has expanded massively. It's exposed me to a wider variety of books. I tried some romance books, which I don't no normally read. I've been trying to read more um, essay uh, essay collections and different types of nonfiction to the nonfiction I would normally read. And so First of all, it's shown me that, yes, I, I have a really broad range of tastes. It's shown me through both talking with other readers, getting book recommendations from there, and building the product and then seeing what my own stats from the product tells me. If someone had asked me, what type of books do you like? I would have said, oh, fast paced, uh, a lot of action, drama. And I realized, oh, no, I can really love a slow paced, character driven novel. The first one that made me 
start to realize that was reading uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation mm-hmm. by Tessa Moshfeg. That was the first book where I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's very character driven. There's not a lot of like, you know, action. It's about, you know, as it says in the title, a woman who takes a year off of everything <laughs> and just like, you know, hangs around in a drug induced stupor. And the blurb, upon reading the blurb, I thought, oh, this isn't for me. But the story graph um, helped me see that, you know, maybe this is something for me. And so, um, yeah, it's it's also just helped me realize that I do like a, a slower character driven novel as well. That's a really important realization that could really change the books you pick up. Yes. I can't wait to hear more about your specific tastes. (laughs) I know readers are going to want to hear. So you have an hour a day on your calendar. When do you read during the day? So here's another thing about me. I love experimenting and mixing up my schedule. Keeps it fresh. It depends on what's happening with work, when I feel I need to get to work. So for a long time, the beginning of 2020, it was in the morning. It was one of the first things I did. And then I realized as as the site grew, most of our users are stateside. So that means that the quietest time on this site is my morning hours. So I get up at six. So the quietest time is, you know, six to like 10. And so I decided that maybe I need to start working them because I can do bigger changes on the site, like things that might be a little bit more disruptive. It's it's mm-hmm. better for me to get stuff out then. And then as more and more people wake up later on, you know, I can tend to more customer support or see what's happening on our bookstagram and Instagram. So, so I actually moved my reading now to like after my lunch break. So after my lunch break, assuming everything's going okay, I'll step away for an hour and I'll do some reading. So right now it's like 2.30 to 3.30 every day. That's so interesting that though you're in London, so much of your StoryGraph audience is in the US. Yes, it's funny also because I think a lot of the customers assume I am in the States or assume it's run by people in the States. So I often have messages from people saying, you know, whether they want to volunteer for us or or work for us or whatever it is. I'll say, you know, I'm in the UK. Is that o- is that OK? And I go, well, I hope it is because I'm in the UK, too. So <laughs> that better be OK. <laughs> Do you have a way to account for the uh, distribution of your reader community? We have some really basic stats in there. We don't we don't collect a lot of data on our users. So it's just, you know, whatever we see from basic analytics on the IP. And so we just get a, a high level breakdown of where people are. And that's how we know that about 50 to 60 percent are in the States. Nadia, I would love to hear more about uh, your reading life and specifically what you are reading and loving. Are you ready to dive in? Yes. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy picking up for your next read. I'm so excited. How did you choose these books you love? The ones I love, one of them is something that I've always said for the longest time is an all-time fave. And I recently reread it, so it was top of mind. And then the other two I've read more recently and really loved. And then the one I chose for didn't like it was because so many people loved this book and I went into it expecting to love it and I didn't and I was kind of sad I mean that is the kiss of death sky high expectations yeah so I wanted to call that one out and actually one of the books I loved was another one that people had been raving about for years and it met those expectations if not exceeded them so that was great well now we get to hear which is which tell me about the first book you love The Secret History by Donna Tartt I first read this when I was like 13 and having reread it. Oh gosh. I know. (laughs) I have a 13 year old and the idea of her reading the secret history. (laughs) I read all sorts when I was 12 and 13. This is when I was like first started secondary school and they had a library and I just picked up whatever. I will not forget it. I was by my locker one morning and one of my fellow book club members, we were part of this book club, came up to me and she said, I stayed up all night reading this. You have to read it pushed it into my hands and I was like okay and I remember taking it to my English class I was just carrying it around all day you know I maybe started with the opening pages and I had it on my desk and my English teacher while like talking to the whole class saw it on my desk and said oh wow isn't it amazing and I was like oh wow you know I hadn't even really got into it yet but I was like (laughs) okay this is a book I don't remember like really like reading it all I remember is I loved it and since that time I've been calling it one of my all-time favorites I was never one to reread books um, I understood why people would reread but personally I always said to myself well there's just I already know I'm not going to be able to read all of the books I want to read in my lifetime so I'm just going to prioritize new stories always um, and then getting involved on 
with the books community and Instagram, I saw like a lot of people who I followed rereading and the joy they were getting out of it. And I said, well, you know what? There are these these five books that I keep going around saying are my all-time faves. But mm-hmm. I've, I read pretty much all of them when I was like 12 to 14. You know, I'm now in my late 20s. Do, I, do these still translate? Are they still my favorites? So I reread uh, five or six books, The Secret History being one. And up until The Secret History, I don't think any of the books had retained a five-star rating in my <gasps> Oh, no. Mind. How did that feel? It was kind of like disappointing. I was like, oh no, like who who am I as a reader? Like what is my reading identity? What what have I been telling people all of these years? And so I went into secret his- the secret history nervous because I was like, oh no, if this is not a five star, then because this is the one out of all of them that I was like, oh yeah, this one <laughs> is my all time favorite. So I was nervous because I just thought, oh, if none of them are five stars, then who even am I as a reader? I was a bit nervous at first because it was a bit slow. But then at some point, it it just really it grabbed me, the writing. I was just hooked. I was into it. I, I didn't want to put it down. And I was like, okay, this is, yeah, this is still a fave. This is, this is amazing. I'm relieved to hear it. Although, I mean, readers change and grow, and that is okay. And yet. Indeed. <laughs> I think I was nervous because I hadn't, and I know everyone's rating system is different and personal to mm-hmm. them, but I'm really picky with five stars. And I even sometimes would say to myself, do you need to relax with your ratings? Like, why are you finding it so hard to give a book a five-star rating? And I think I just had it in my mind that five-star for me had to be absolutely perfect. And any little niggle, just like, then it couldn't have a five-star rating. And, and we'll talk about one of those books in a minute because it's gonna it's one of the books that I'm, I mentioned as, as loving. So I think I was just nervous of like, wait, the books that I thought were five stars, they're not even five stars anymore. Am I, do I have any five-star reads? Like, what is... What is, and that's why I was worried. It was not not worried about changing, but more like, what are my favorite books? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nadia, tell me about another book you love. So this one is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. And this was one that people have been raving about to me for years, saying, you know, it's incredible, the best series ever. I was definitely curious especially knowing that I think every every single installment of the trilogy won the Hugo Awards. I think no other series has done that before, like in consecutive years. So I said, let me see what all the fuss is about. And I knew going into it, you know, people had said, it's a bit, it's a bit complicated. It's a bit hard work. You have to get used to it. Yes, it was complex. You know, going into it, the world building and the, the setup, it takes a bit of work to get into it. But, and you see this, when you, when you push through and it, everything starts clicking, the work that N.K. Jemison has just put into this to construct everything, it's just so well put together. Like you just have to, it's a masterpiece. You just have to appreciate how it's all put together. It's the kind of book where, yes, it's not an easy read, but it's the kind of uh, challenging that's so rewarding when you start to see all the pieces fall into place. You start to mm-hmm. understand the terminology and get used to the world. And honestly, it, it it was just a real, it was just a real masterpiece. And when I spoke about the whole five-star rating thing, this book, in the end, if you look at my review, I've given it 4.75 stars. <laughs> that is very precise. Very precise. <laughs> Quarter-star ratings on the story graph, which people love, by the way. And it was just because... I got into this, I've gotten into this mindset where, like I said, oh, five stars have to be perfect for me. And one of my criteria is I just have to generally understand everything. I can't be too confused because for something to be like one of my all-time favorites, I feel like I just have to have a good grasp of everything. And with the fifth season, I felt like there were just a few elements that I was struggled to visualize or struggled to really say like, what happened here? And I know for some people it's kind of like, that's fine. Like I didn't completely get that it's part of the experience and you're not meant to completely get it but I just I just needed to get it a little bit more to be able to visualize just a little bit more of it for it to like be up there as like okay five star but it's still one of my all-time favorite reads (laughs) 4.75 I like it what's your final favorite I'm sure lots of people have heard of Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo The reason I want to bring this one up is because this was one that I wasn't sure I was going to like going in, despite the fact that people had been raving about it. One of the reasons was because, or maybe the main reason, was because I knew it was written in in a verse style. And I was a bit like, "Mm, not sure if this is for me. And I remember having wandered into a bookstore at one point, picking it up, opening a page and thinking like, okay, you know, I, I didn't think it was anything that was going to really like captivate me or I don't know if it was going to be like the most enjoyable reading experience. I guess I was worried about the accessibility of it. 
you know, hearing that it was in verse. And I know verse doesn't necessarily mean complicated. I was concerned about that, particularly knowing about, you know, the Man Booker Prize and knowing that those tend to be more literary. I just was, I just wasn't sure how, how much I was going to take to it. From like the opening pages, I was just hooked. Like it just, I was f- turning the pages, the words were just flowing into my head. But the main thing for that book for me was just the richness of the cast of characters. Like I felt like they were so real. <laughs> I didn't, we have this question on the Storygraph reviews where it says, do you find the characters lovable? And I think I actually put, mm, it's complicated for that question <laughs> because it's not that I loved all the characters, but they just felt so real with their with their hopes, their desires, their histories, their actions. A lot of it was set in London. Uh-huh. And so my home I just loved it. And every time I put the book down, I wanted to get back to the characters, get back to this world. And they were all linked in different ways. And yeah, I just I just thought it was brilliant. And so, and that's the other thing. I'm not someone who rereads or tends to reach for rereading. When I finished the book, I remember feeling like, oh, I want to start it all again. I didn't, but I did feel that way strongly. Um, so that was that was a clear sign of, a, of an all-time favorite. I'm so glad you chose that, not just because it was the right book, right book for you. Although, Nadia, how many stars did you give this? Five. This one got five. Five solid <laughs> stars. But despite it being absolutely true that so many readers have read this, no one has chosen it as a favorite before. Oh. Thank you for bringing it to the favorite section of What Should I Read Next? I'm glad. Now, tell me about that book that you had a high expectations for that didn't quite work out the way you'd hoped. And even like, you know, hesitant to say it because I know there's going to be a lot of listeners who go, oh, no, I, I love that book. And there will also be a lot of listeners who hear what you say about why it wasn't for you and say, oh, but it is for me and rush out and get it right now. So definitely that, that that's the way it works with books. And that's actually something I always try and do in my reviews. Like I was actually looking back at my review for this book and I say, if you like X, Y, Z, then this is for you. I always try and do that. And I think it's the ethos of the story graph, and I'm sure it's in your work too, being a personal recommender. A book is always for someone. There's always someone out there that's going to give a book five stars or it's going to be their all-time favorite, you know? Absolutely. And by talking about the reasons it doesn't work for you, it becomes clearer who it would work for. Yes. And what will work for you in the future. So, okay, without further, I feel like we're just putting this off. Tell me about it. Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. I definitely think there was an aspect of me maybe not being in the right mood for it. You know, I spoke earlier about how I discovered that I do enjoy a a slower-paced, character-driven novel. But I think when I read this one, I think maybe I did need to pick up something that was faster-paced and a bit more exciting. You know, it covered a lot of topics, deep topics. You know, we had motherhood, um, identity, family, race, racism, social mobility, grief. There was a lot in there. And I think, and it's a, sh- it's a short book, and I think I just didn't feel like I had enough to feel connected to the characters to feel invested in the story, to really get to the emotional effect that I think Woodson was trying to evoke in the reader. So I just felt a bit detached from it. I felt a little bit bored at times or like, yeah, just, yeah, just not really invested in the story. I could see at times, you know, I could really see, okay, why people say they love the writing. But I just think, yeah, it just wasn't for me at the time that I read it. And I remember just being so excited and then being like, oh, no, it's not for me. Nadia, what have you been reading lately? I've been reading a a bunch, but I realized that so far I've only spoken about fiction books. And normally I read about 25% nonfiction. And I've been trying to get that up to a third because I do have a lot of nonfiction on my TDR. My degree was in philosophy, politics and economics. I love reading about startups. I enjoy the odd true crime book. I I, want to read more essays and things like that. So I I wanted to share a couple of recent nonfiction reads that I have really enjoyed So the first is um, Our Women on the Ground. It's an essay collection edited by Zara Hankir. And it's all about Arab women reporters reporting in the Arab world. And I remember at the beginning of the book, I think it's written by Zara Hankir, the intro that basically says, you know, we recognize the limitation of just saying the Arab world and Arab women, but it's kind of the easiest way to, you know, to talk about it because it's like, you know, there's 22 countries, many different languages. So it is a bit of, a, you know, just grouping a bunch of different countries and cultures in one. But essentially, you know, that's what it is. And I've always been fascinated by reporters who have such a desire to seek the truth that they put themselves in danger or they travel to war zones and then to add on to that being women reporters in countries where 
women are discriminated against, women are looked down upon, and there's lots of sexism. I was just blown away by the bravery, the fierceness, the things that these women went through. And and because it was an essay collection, you know, every chapter written from a different voice, a different perspective. It was just rich in the variety of experiences. It was it was hard reading, you know. Obviously, a lot of um, content warning for like death and grief description of you know war zones and and things like that so it was tough but that was a very rewarding experience and I and I would definitely like to read more essay collections that kind of show me a perspective or a different a different type of career a different type of um a cultural perspective that I just wouldn't normally read about and then the second one that I read last year Don't Touch My Hair by Emma Dabiri and that is the history of black hair. And now you might think, okay, black hair, okay. But actually, it touches on so much more. You know, there's lots of, you know, the social history of black people, the economic history, politics. It even goes into mathematics. Emma Dabiri uses the history of black hairstyles to reveal the mathematical ability that black people have and, and, and just the history of that. And it was just... Fascinating. That was awesome because that was reading about, you know, something that's very important to me as a black person and as someone who has my own, you know, black hair history. It really helped me change my perspective on how I viewed my hair and my relationship to it. So there's, you know, there's stuff about how, you know, black hair takes a long time and it's very easy, particularly for people today in today's Western world to say, oh, you know, we're we're too busy to spend time on it. You know, Emma sort of talks about really helps, you know, black people appreciate the fact that, no, this is actually a part of our culture that should be celebrated, that, you know, our hair needs this much time and care. So it really helped me change my perspective. So that book was great because it's one of those books where I think it's great for non-Black people to read, to just understand this rich history that you might not be aware of and what it says about so many other different facets of society and Black culture. But then also for Black people to read, to again, understand and appreciate certain parts of our culture that you may not have done previously. Interesting parts of history, pockets of history that you might not focus on as a topic, you know, black hair history. So it's very, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a specific area. And so looking for those kind of deep dive history reads as well is something that I'm trying to do. Okay. Nadia, you've touched on this a little bit, but what do you want to be different in your reading life? So I think the main thing right now is getting up that nonfiction. I mean, you can see even when I was originally talking about books, I had to remember to say, oh, yeah, let me include my nonfiction reads. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for the focus to be on fiction. And I'm someone who has a wide range of interests. I'm running a business. Like I said, I, I one of my degree is all nonfiction, philosophy, politics, economics. My nonfiction TBR is growing. So I think the main thing is just keeping up that nonfiction percentage of reading I want to get through more in a year and apart from that I think it's just keeping up my focus on continuing the practice that I've done of focused reading time so that I can get through all of these amazing books that I'm discovering and I'm sure you're going to put a few more on my radar now so (laughs) all right Nadia let's talk about your books you loved The Secret History by Donna Tart, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin and Girl Woman Other by Bernardine Evaristo Mm-hmm. Not For You, Read at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. You mentioned that timing may be an issue there. Recently, you've been reading more nonfiction as you strive to get your nonfiction percentage up from about 25% to about a third. Yes. So you're continuing to want to look for nonfiction in various formats, including but not limited to essay collections. And what I want to keep in mind is what you said about Read at the Bone, how reading about those characters, you felt detached, bored, not invested, which is the opposite of what I really heard you saying about the books you loved, where these authors just built whole worlds that you felt like you were walking into and becoming a part of through the page. Yes, 100%. Okay. With all that being said, I'm a little afraid to recommend this, but something I think we both know about book recommendations is sometimes a reader doesn't know what they're looking for until they start reading it. And then they go, oh, this is for me. So you like books where the author creates whole worlds, yet I want to try out a short story collection on you. Is that okay? That is brilliant because I always say short stories collections aren't for me. I've read, but I also feel like I haven't read enough short story collections to definitively say that. So I'm very excited by this. 
I feel like I've seen this on Bookstagram a lot, and I know you hang out there. But the book I'm thinking of is The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. Is this a book you know? No. Oh, okay. I'm so excited. It came out in the US in fall 2020. So it hasn't been around forever. This is a wide ranging short story collection. Some are just five or six pages. Some are 40 where you spend a lot of time with the characters. But what I like about these for you is that even though you get these quick little snippets into aspects of each woman's life, I mean, women are front and center in this collection, as you can probably glean from the title. She drops you so quickly and effectively in the midst of these women's lives that you feel like you are there with them for as long as you are with them. Her writing is so emotionally rich and evocative. I think that's really what she does best is she captures the feeling of a situation and she adds all the details that would make you experience it. So these are about work and children and love and sex, all kinds of relational problems some ending in triumph, some not at all. There are hints of connection between the stories, but just just hints. They're united in tone, but just right from the very beginning, the epigraph to this is from Ansel Elkins's uh, The Autobiography of Eve. It's, Mm -hmm. let it be known, I did not fall from grace. I leapt to freedom. And even though in every story we meet a new character, I I didn't feel a jarring sense like I feel in so many short stories where you you turn the page, it's a new story, and you have to figure out like, wait, where what is happening now? Who am I with? I feel like she just seamlessly carries you into another woman's life. The attitude behind the stories, the that the tone is very similar, while like every character can still feel like a distinct human being with her distinct problems. There's a short story about Peach Cobbler that I thought was absolutely fantastic. That's one of the longer ones a mother-daughter duo and an illicit relationship that the daughter is just not quite sure what to make of and then becomes involved in when her mother pulls her in. But the one that I loved the most, like I finished it and I turned back to the beginning and I read it again and I could do that because it was only 20 pages, is called How to Make Love to a Physicist, which Mm -hmm. is about a woman with some stuff getting in the way of relationships. Okay. But, well, I won't tell you how it ends. I will say though that I wanted to read it again. (laughs) This is a short story collection that makes people who love them say, this is why, and that makes people who say short stories are not for me um, say, well, except for that one book. (laughs) So that is The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. I'm excited to pick that one up. I am glad to hear it. Okay. This is a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of politics, not so Mm. much on the economics, but you're a business owner who's bringing people together and you're running your own company. I'm wondering what you know about the art of gathering how we meet and why it matters by priya parker i don't know much okay i can work with that so i think this is really interesting nonfiction. nadia you were talking about don't touch my hair which is called twisted in the states which is interesting sometimes the covers are completely different too and i always want to know yes why but i don't always get the answers to that <laughs> you were talking about how it's a book about hair and yet it also went into all these other topics and es- explored areas that made perfect sense but you weren't expecting and i don't know that you said this in in as many words, but that that was a really engaging experience for you as a reader. 100%. And that's why I think that you may enjoy The Art of Gathering. So this book was recommended to me by many disparate readers when I said, hey, I want to run better meetings. And they Mm. recommended this book. And so I entered into it having business meetings in mind and was so delighted to see her talk about all kinds of different gatherings. Her specialty is social conflict resolution. And she has all kinds of experience um, bringing all kinds of different people together, whether that is college friends or political readers, meeting in boardrooms, flash mob parties. She tells a story from Arab Israeli summer camp and all kinds of conferences, just a wide array of gatherings. But she talks about how different kinds of gatherings she's been involved in, how they can go horribly wrong and how they can go really, really right if we do it with intention. And she shares so many stories that I think really are the best part of the book because not only is it just fun to read about these these pop-up dinner parties with people just dressed in white that happen at uh, various locations around the globe, um, which read very differently if you're reading that in the midst of a global pandemic. Mm. Makes you long for what will be again and what could have been in the past. I mean, not only are those just fun to read about, but also she explains her philosophy and then she says, let me show you what it looks like. And 
something that I think you'll find especially interesting about this book is so many of her suggestions are really counterintuitive. Although perhaps not to you, because one of her recommendations is think very purposefully about who you're excluding. Mm -hmm. And she explains to readers, you may think, okay, we're talking about gathering. Why are we talking about excluding people? Isn't that kind of rude and wrong? And she said, no, 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 no. Like for a gathering to go well, you have to think about who it's for. And that means it's not for people too, which sounds very much like what we were talking about earlier about recommending books. Or perhaps you can see how easily that's extrapolated to building an online community. Like who is it for? Who is it really not for? But she tells all these wonderful stories um, with takeaways I think will make you think differently about running your business, but also just engaging in your everyday life. Like she tells stories about friends coming together and why maybe sometimes that awful dinner party could not have been so awful if things had been handled differently. She tells stories that give you insight into why things work, but that also are just, I mean, fascinating, but a little painful to read. Like she talks about a missed opportunity at a funeral, Mm -hmm. how everybody was gathered together and the moment was ripe. And the preacher went to open his mouth to say something, which was, let me talk to you about parking and how just the moment, the moment was lost and how we Mm -hmm. can plan those moments to happen, but also not wreck them when when we have managed to build them. It's not a long book, but I think you're looking to read different kinds of nonfiction that this could be worth your time. How does that sound? Honestly, it sounds so interesting. I've always been someone who's interested in facilitation and being better at facilitating meetings. You know, I like to think I'm pretty good already, but there's always room for improvement. And also, I, I did a series of conference talks around communication and giving feedback. And one of them was on nonviolent communication in, in, in particular. And you mentioned that there's talk of conflict resolution and things like that. And that's something I've always been interested in. You know, how do you be honest and open with people while um, not leading to conflict, not leading to people being defensive. And it sounds like there's aspects of this within this book. And I love um, uh, nonfiction that, you know, has a lot of anecdotes or stories, different, different case studies, things like that. And it sounds like this book is packed with them. Yes, I think so. So that is The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. Finally, you said essay collections, and I think because of the time and because we've touched on London, my thoughts went to Zadie Smith. Tell me about your relationship with Zadie. My relationship with Zadie is when I was like 12 or 13, I read White Teeth, and I don't remember it. And I've now, as an adult, I've been seeing lots of friends, avid readers who love her. And I keep saying I need to reread White Teeth because I don't remember anything about it and how I felt about it at the time. And I need to read all of her other stuff too. Because, like you said, <laughs> London. So, yes, I've been waiting to get back into Zadie Smith. I wasn't thinking of White Teeth because of what you said about nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that maybe starting small and timely could be good for right now in early 2021. She has a newish essay collection that just came out in the past few months. It's called Intimations. It's very slim. There's only six or seven essays in here. This collection was prompted by and reflects on the pandemic. She just started reading this in March. She's a wonderful essayist. If you read this and really enjoy it, the next one I would pick up is Feel free. And what's interesting about this collection is she was born in London and has spent much time there. But since she's writing during lockdown and she teaches at NYU, she's writing this from Manhattan in the early part of lockdown. I do love a good epigraph in the front of a book. It just sets the tone and tells you what what the author has in mind. And what she chooses for this is from Marcus Aurelius, who says, it stares you in the face. No role is so well suited to philosophy as the one you happen to be in right now. She also uses a Grace Paley quote, but I think that that line about philosophy from Marcus Aurelius could indicate that this book could be right up your alley. And she also talks a good bit about the doubt she feels about how she's living her life and about the world right now. But she lands on some metaphors that I just think are so perfect and thought-provoking. One of her essays is called Something to Do, and in it, the line I had to jot down is that we are we are all looking for ways to fill the time. And what we do with where life is really just finding a way to pass the time. She also talks about people talk to her about a novelist. What does a novelist do? But 
what I had to jot down was there is no great substitute between novels and banana bread. They are both just something to do. And she talks <laughs> about that at length. So there's some drawn out essays, some of which are very much like speaking about right now, like how people are handling themselves well or falling apart during quarantine in New York City. But she also has this really lovely section that's just a tribute to various people in her life who really mattered to her and taught her something. And it can be anyone from like the musician Tracy Chapman to very particular friends. Like of one friend, she says that friend taught her just to think about her life differently because this friend showed her that mothering is an art, housekeeping is an art, baking is an art, Mm -hmm. small talk is an art, Um, sending cards at holidays to everybody you know, this too is an art. But above all these, and this is the one her friend taught her, playing and just what it means to play. It's a slim book, but it has really wide range. How does that sound? Sounds brilliant. That's Intimations by Zadie Smith. Nadia, of the books we talked about today. The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia, The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, and Intimations by Zadie Smith. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? I know I want to read more nonfiction, but I think I'm going to, I will pick up the short story collection. Well, I'm not sad about that, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Nadia, I so enjoyed talking books with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. I loved it too. Thank you so much for having me. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Nadia, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 271, and it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. To support our show and get weekly bonus episodes, access to our quarterly live stream, and a peek behind the scenes, join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash what should I read next. And while we create these perks as a thank you to readers who financially support the show, we found out in our recent Patreon survey that the majority of readers sign up simply because they want to tangibly support what we're making. We are so grateful. Sign up to become a supporter at patreon.com slash what should I read next. Follow us on Instagram at What Should I Read Next, where we're always sharing great books. And if you don't get our weekly newsletter, go to What Should I Read Next podcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.